Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio this morning. We are so glad to see you today. And I'm especially glad that you're here today because because you're here today, we can remind you, we can, we can tell you, we can give you that heads up about our 175th anniversary celebration next week. As Joe said just a little while ago, we, we will only have one service next week. Everybody say that, one service at 10 a.m., at 10 a.m. Everybody say that with me, 10 a.m. Now, just like the gospel, that's not, that message isn't just for you. You're supposed to share it with other people. Tell others that our, we have one service next week at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. We're bringing the whole church together for one service to celebrate our 175th anniversary. It's also going to be a very exciting day because we're going to have a very special guest pastor, the, the Reverend Ligon Duncan, Dr. Re, Reverend Ligon Duncan, who is the Chancellor of Reform Theological Seminary. And he is going to come and he is going to be inaugurating the Lewis H. Zabendon Lecture Series. And so as part of that series, he will be preaching for us next Sunday morning. So I hope that you will come and that you'll enjoy that, that we'll have great food, we'll have wonderful music. It is going to be one of those great times when we can come and be together for a special weekend. You know, I, I, I was reminded this weekend of how much fun homecoming can be because my wife and I made the mistake of visiting our, our daughter at her college this weekend and we didn't realize that it was their homecoming weekend. You wanna talk about having no room at the inn anywhere? But it was so much fun to, to be in that atmosphere where that whole college family was coming together to celebrate just an important weekend. And we hope that you will be with us next week. Again, next week. again 10 a.m. next week. Well, as we have been going through this year, this 175th year, I have been preaching sermons about once a month, trying to capture a snapshot of various eras of our 175-year history. And I've done that by centering on special events or by pastors who led this church through those particular seasons. And today, right before we begin our 175th season, our, uh, Sunday, I want to I want to capture the last of these that I can do in this, in this amount of time because 175 years is a long time to cover. But I want to capture one last season of the church before we enter this, season, this celebration, and that is the Lewis Zabendon era of this church. Now, I'm fully aware that there are many people who have joined this church since Lewis retired, but Lewis was the pastor of this church for 32 years from 1971 to 2003. This is a, a picture, if you all will show the picture of him up there. Lewis Abendon was the pastor here from 1971 to 2003. That's 32 years, 32 years of ministry, 32 years of personal relationships. There is no way that I can capture or introduce this man and his ministry properly to you in one Sunday, in one sermon. And so something I very often say in memorial services is that you can never summarize somebody's life in a memorial service. So this is not a, this is not a, a summary of someone's life. Rather, it's the beginning or the catalyst of a thousand different conversations. If you know who Lewis was, I want you to tell stories about him. If you didn't know who he was, I want you to ask questions. But however, however it happens, he is a man worth remembering 
for his ministry here in this church. But I do want to say also, and I know that they'll be here at the 11 o'clock service, to please thank Kip and Ann and Katie and Betsy and, of course, young Lewis when he's here next week. Thank them for sharing their father with us as a church for 32 years. That was a very a very large gift that they gave. Before I get into it, I want to just share a few personal notes about Lewis. You see, even though I just got here about five years ago, Lewis was one of my heroes. He was, one, he was, in fact, my pastoral grandfather. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Lewis trained the pastor who trained me. Bill Wood was one of Lewis Sabendon's first associate pastors here at First Presbyterian Church, and Bill was the pastor of First Pres Charlotte, and I was one of his associate pastors. And so he trained me in many of the things that Lewis had trained him. And I can say that when I first met my pastoral grandfather for the first time, it was wonderful to see that sometimes it is true that your heroes can live up to the legend and are even more encouraging and more gentle than you ever deserve, as Lewis was with me. His signature line at the beginning of every scripture reading was, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And I remember the first time I ever preached from this pulpit, people came up to me after I'd read the scripture reading, I'd said the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And people came up to me and they said, you got that from Lewis. I said, no, actually I got that from Isaiah. (laughs) I think Isaiah got it from Lewis. Um, But before I get into the sermon that I've chosen to preach today, I want to share three of my favorite Lewis Abendon quotes. The first is a quote that he gave in a newspaper interview in 1971, just after arriving from North Carolina. He had come to lead a struggling downtown church, and the reporter wanted to know why he'd come to San Antonio. And and Lewis's answer was this. He said, I've come to San Antonio because there are still people in San Antonio, and God still loves them. Lewis really believed that God loves the people of San Antonio all of the people. The second quote I want to share with you is this. He once said in a sermon that powerless love is stronger than loveless power. Powerless love is stronger than loveless power. Jesus, excuse me, Lewis often preached that, that Jesus was the one who gave up everything He who lacked nothing gave up everything for the love of us. He who could not die gave up immortality to give his love for us. Powerless powerless love is stronger than loveless power. A third and final quote I want to share with you is something I heard Lewis say at an event several years ago before his passing. Speaking of our neighbors in need, he said this, these people here know all the time. Someone has got to say yes. And a critical piece of Lewis's ministry was to build in to this church a culture of saying yes to those who were most in need, to the naked, to the hungry, to all those who were desperate. One day, Lewis was coming into the church and he was hit with some terrible news. A homeless man had died on the steps of the church the night before. He died, it, died from exposure to the cold. 
In that moment, God awakened Lewis's compassion with a new depth. It awakened his compassion so deeply that it began a revolution. And Lewis began to awaken the compassion of the city. Lewis vowed that no one would ever die of cold and exposure in San Antonio again. We have a picture of Lewis standing before a big table full of sandwiches. Could you all put that picture up there? Before a big table of sandwiches and one of the first loaves and fishes offerings that we ever had. But the idea that anybody would die of starvation or of exposure in San Antonio was anathema to Lewis. And so under his ministry, the ministries of SAM, San Antonio Metropolitan Ministries, CAM, Christian Assistance Ministry, and Christian Dental Clinic were all founded, among many others. And as I was walking by CAM this week, I thought about Lewis's legacy of compassion. That legacy continues even downstairs in this very building where we have once again brought back the daily business of homeless ministry and love for our neighborhood to back through the Kingdom Restoration Collaboration, or the KRL. These are all important things that started and that continue in the Zabendan era. Now again, how can you possibly summarize a 32-year ministry? Well, we can't, or at least I can't. And so rather than do that, I thought, well, instead of trying to capture everything, why don't I, why don't I preach one of Lewis's most notable sermons? That in itself was a project, trying to decide which one, because when you've preached in a place for 32 years, not only are there a lot of sermons, but there are a lot of greatest hits. And I would ask people, what is your favorite, those people who were here, what was your favorite Lewis sermon? And they would tell me this one, and they would tell me that one, and I've heard many of them, Red Sea Places, or In the Meantime, or, or others. But the one I've chosen is a sermon called Come Before Winter. It was based on what Lewis called the most famous sermon ever preached in American Protestantism. The sermon was first preached in 1915 by Clarence McCartney, who was then pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. And the session of that church requested that Dr. McCartney preach that sermon every year, which he did for almost 40 years. Now, Lewis preached this sermon many times. And each time it became a little bit more his own. He preached it in different seasons and for different reasons. He preached it with different emphases from Advent to stewardship. Lewis preached it at least three years in a row on Dedication Sunday. He even once preached it twice in one year. So I'm feeling better about the idea of preaching reruns. I'll go ahead and tell you that every now and then. He preached it in times of big celebrations like ordinations and installations. And he preached it after tragic deaths, including one year when there were three suicides in the church. In 1997, he said, this is the third consecutive fall we have preached this sermon. It always has a little bit of a different twist. In 1997, it was about our use of time as one of God's most precious gifts. Now, this is a very personal type of message by a great man. It turns our attention to matters of real value, the importance of time and the importance of now.
And so here now the word of God as it is found recorded for us in the New Testament. The second letter of Paul that he wrote to his friend Timothy, the fourth chapter and beginning in the ninth verse. Paul writes this, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the, from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Nesaurus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we hear these words that Lewis claimed and preached and used to draw us together, help us to think of the eternal things to which this sermon also points. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be with you, be with us now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Do your best to come before winter. Scholars tell us that these are the last words that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. Paul was aware that the sands of time have run out. All the appeals that he rightfully would have, have, would have had as a Roman citizen have been rejected. He said earlier, I am on the point of being sacrificed. His last will and testament was in verses just before we began. The time of my departure, he says, has come. I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. These are words that he is writing to his dear friend, Timothy. Last words. They are words that underscore the importance of now. They are words that underscore the importance of time. They are words that underscore the necessity of a timely response. On this dedication Sunday, I therefore want to talk to you about the most important thing that you have. Time. Now. Many of you here remember that we have preached this sermon before, 
But on this dedication Sunday, it seemed that it was appropriate as we look at the most important thing that any of us have, and that is now. That is the time that we have. Paul says to Timothy, do your best to come before winter. There's a poignancy and an urgency about the words, and we can understand why the urgency is there. There was a very practical matter. Winter is coming. Paul knew from firsthand experience that one does not travel on the Mediterranean in the winter. The storms are such that they capsize ships. We know about that story in the book of Acts. That's exactly what happened to Paul on his way to Rome to be in jail. Paul is there in an underground prison in Rome. It's dark and it's dismal. He's cold. Winter is coming. And he asks Timothy to go and find the cloak that he left in Troas with a man named Carpus. He needs something to keep him warm. There are personal considerations, though. Paul is lonely. He wants his dear son in the faith to be there with him. But there is a note of grace because he says, bring Mark with you. Paul and Mark had a falling out. And because of that falling out, Paul and Barnabas had a big altercation. You know, that happens even among Christians. They get angry and they get hurt just like anybody else and they separate. Paul is now holding out an olive leaf and says, bring Mark with you. Then he wants, and I love this, he wants his books. He wants the scriptures. He wants the prophets and the psalms. If you were in prison, what books would you ask to have with you? And then, of course, he wants the parchment. He wants something to write on. Paul is forever wanting to be the communicator. There's an urgency in his words, and the urgency reminds all of us that there are certain things in our lives that need to be taken care of in a timely fashion. There are things that need to be done now if they are going to be done at all. Those of you who are parents know this. There is a window of opportunity that we have to give values, to give instructions. That's the reason we talk about the importance of bringing children to Sunday school, bringing children to church, so they can sit with you, so they know that you worship and pray. We are in the business of giving our children roots and wings, but the wings with which they fly are no good if we've not given them the roots. The importance of now and how that haunts me. Kit put on the refrigerator a few years ago a cartoon, and the woman is looking at her husband and she says, You want to spend more time with the children? Don't you recognize that they left years ago? The same thing is true in marriages. The marriages that come broken into my office come broken not so much because of a traumatic event but they come because the basic things that go into a relationship have been neglected. And neglect always ends up building walls of indifference 
and love grows cold, and there is no marriage. The the same thing is true in the spiritual life. If you neglect daily prayer and daily devotions and worship, you're not going to grow into the fullness of Christ. There are some things that require a timely response, that require now the urgency of time. I wonder, did Timothy go? I'd like to think that he did. We all would. But one has to wonder if he did not procrastinate and put it off and say, I really need to get my desk cleared off, and then I'll go. Then I'll get around to it. He gets there in the spring, and McCartney in his sermon has a wonderful imaginary scene there where Timothy goes to the jail, and the jailer has no recollection of Paul. He goes to the church that Paul is talking about, and they, Pudens, looks up at him and says, I hear, Timothy, you know in the last days of Paul, of Paul's life, every time the cell was opened, Paul thought that it might be you. But he was beheaded in December. Didn't you know that? He left a message for you. Tell Timothy when he gets here that he was my beloved son in the faith. So come before winter. Paul's voice was speaking in the fall. He wanted Timothy to hear it because his voice might not be speaking in the spring. And that really is the reason that this sermon continues to be repeated year after year. Because I do think that each of us needs to be reminded of the importance of now and the importance of time. We need to be reminded that our life is made up of something other than conjugating the words want or get or acquire or spend. Don't we remember that that haunting line from the play Our Town when Emily says to the stage manager, do any humans recognize the importance of today, of now? The stage manager says, no, not really. Sometimes the saints and the mystics do. Let's think together, what are some of the voices that might be speaking or calling now that may not be calling out in the spring? Is there a service that you or I might render to the church or to the community? Is there a child that needs to be mentored or taught? Is there some service that could be rendered only by you, but you say, my plate is so full and I don't quite have the time now? In the spring, perhaps, I'll have time. But so often the spring never comes. Come before winter. Voices that are speaking today that may not be speaking in the spring. Well, did Timothy go? I don't know. I hope he did. But I wonder if Timothy was not like so many of us that he procrastinated, he delayed. And you know as well that procrastination and delay are the barnacles on the ship of our lives. 
And by delaying, he got there, and then he recognized, as everyone in this room at one point or another has recognized, that the hardest words of tongue or pen are these sad words. It might have been. Herman Woke wrote a book called The Cain Mutiny. In that book, the father of Willie discovers that he has terminal cancer. He writes Willie on the minesweeper upon which he was serving, and he wants to give Willie three pieces of advice. First, he says that there is nothing more precious than time. Quote, wasted hours destroy your life just as surely at the beginning as at the end. Time waits for no one. Second, the father raises the question of religion. I'm afraid, Willie, I haven't given you much religion because I didn't have much to give you. But I'm going to mail you a Bible before I go into the hospital. Become familiar with the book and its words. You'll never regret it. I came to the Bible like I did everything else in my life. Too late. And the third thing he says, Willie, think about me and what I might have been. And the letter closes, for my sake and for the sake of your father who took wrong turns. Willie, take the right turns. Goodbye, my son, and be a man. Love, Dad. Friends, there are some things that we need to act upon in a timely fashion. The clock of life is wound but once, and no one has the power to tell when, just when the hand will stop at a late or an early hour. Now is the time we have. Live, love, toil, work with a will. Do not wait for tomorrow, for the clock may then be still. Do your best to come before winter. Would you pray with me? Lord God, help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.